Let's pray together. Our God, we want to know your will. We want to live according to your will. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you've been praying for God's will, take heart. By the end of this sermon, you will know God's will. How's that for an introduction? (laughs) For now, let's listen to Jesus. This is from Matthew 5, starting in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said to those in ancient times, You shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of unchastity causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, 
You shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, don't swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be, yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. So Jesus says, if you do such and such, you'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But is that such a bad thing? Because if you're called least in the kingdom of heaven, you're still in the kingdom of heaven, right? I mean, I'd be content to be in heaven with a broom and a dustpan than to be clothed with, you know, jewels in hell. Something Jesus will say after the Sermon on the Mount will help careful listeners to understand Jesus a little better. When Jesus talks about the law, and especially the way that people had come to view the law and read the law and hold the law over people's heads, you know that's the context Jesus is in, right? You ever had the law held over your heads? It's been that way for a while. I think it's then after Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, that he will tell people something that they were already supposed to know, especially since Hosea already told them on behalf of God, God desires mercy. Just a few chapters after the Sermon on the Mount, it's as though Jesus and Matthew in his writing gives us a primer through which to read the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. God desires mercy. And most of the time, we get caught up in that phrase on God or mercy. But I've been interested lately in that middle word, God desires mercy. You know what desire is? Real Desire. I'm not talking about cheap soap opera, far from reality TV desire. I'm talking real desire. Desire is when you pray on your hands and knees while you're pregnant that your kids will have all the things you didn't have, like good examples of right and wrong. Desire is wishing that grown-ups would act like grown-ups, that even I could control my own temper. Desire is wanting to recapture the innocence you lost a long time ago and then believing that Jesus actually has the pathway back to genuine purity because of Jesus' saving grace. In Scripture, in Jesus' preaching, the word that Jesus uses for what we usually translate desire in Matthew 9 
as in God desires mercy, not sacrifice. The word Jesus uses for desire is fellow. It means to want with great intention. It means to wish, to hope for, but with great intention. You ever thought about God wishing for something that God may not get? That seems a bit strange, especially sitting there on the plate next to a heaping helping of omnipresent omniscience. It's as though Jesus is telling us that God wants something that is going to be up to us to fulfill. Here's what God wants. Here's what God desires, but you're the ones that are going to have to put it into practice. It's as though God is saying, don't murder, but now it's up to you to figure out all the meanings of that in your everyday life because you will probably go through your entire life never having murdered someone in cold blood. Watch out for those times when you say things that might kill another person's spirit. God deeply, deeply, intently desires fellow mercy. Mercy, mercy, mercy me. And mercy, mercy, mercy you for that matter. Way back in classical Greek, like Homer, fellow meant to be inclined. It's, I kind of like mercy. Or I have this inclination towards mercy. Even in the Old Testament, it carries more the meaning of to take pleasure in something. As in, you know, God takes pleasure in mercy. But like words do sometimes, "thello" evolved over the years until it came to mean something active. Not just an inclination, but a deep desire. Later in Paul's writings in the New Testament, it's often used to describe God's will. There again, could it be that half the time when we pray for God's will... Could God already be responding through the word of the Lord with, I already have. God, show us your will. I have. Mercy. Go practice mercy. Yeah, but what else? Well, I'll tell you what. Go have and do and be mercy for 50 years. And then we'll get into the more advanced stuff. But God, I've already been doing it for 50 years. Well, give it another 50. And then we'll talk. But I'll be dead by then. Yeah, but at least you will have done my will. Jesus shows us in Matthew 5 and then in the rest of his preaching in Matthew 
what the law looks like when covered in mercy. You know that crack about unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you don't get to go to heaven? Relax about that. Don't worry about that. Because Jesus, throughout Matthew, again, gives us the primer through which to understand that. He is suggesting that what the Pharisees and all those people that our righteousness has to exceed, what's missing from their have, do, and be the law, is mercy. That's what they're lacking to one another, and to their recipients. This is what the law looks like covered in mercy. The Sermon on the Mount is what the law looks like when covered in mercy. Don't murder. And on top of that, watch your anger because of the way that anger can murder the human heart. What does do not murder look like from a place of mercy? Don't sleep around. And on top of that, watch your imagination because of the way your mind can infect the human heart. What does do not commit adultery look like from a place of mercy? Serve your spouse with the proper divorce papers. But really... Be careful before you go down that road because of the pain it will bring on your spouse, on you, on your children. There is a time for such things. And some of you know that time from the inside out. Speaking of which, when it comes to the promises you make to yourself and others, be a person of simple yeses and nos. Cover your yeses with mercy and cover every no with mercy as well. I had to rewrite that sentence, by the way, because I originally had written, and then as I sat there in my office rereading and practicing this stuff out loud, I burst out laughing whenever I read out loud, cover your yeses with mercy and cover your noes with mercy. (laughs) You get it? Cover your nose with mercy. Although some of us might benefit from covering your nose with mercy. I don't know. But seriously, seriously. Yes with mercy and no with mercy. Yes with mercy, no with mercy. And watch your heart. Yeah, but isn't there more to it than that? No, 